0: at the opportunity that we have to serve in God's house. In our study tonight, we're talking about special servants. We are all servants. We're all to be servants. But there are classes of special servants set forth in Scripture. I do not know how far we'll get with the lesson tonight. I did say I won't go long. I don't plan to go long. And I understand understand time is critical with everyone. We appreciate you being here tonight. We're so thankful that you've chosen to be here. But I do want us to look at what the Bible has to say about these special servants. Brother Dio mentioned this morning that we have a need in this congregation for men to serve... As special servants, I'm grateful that this afternoon the ladies had the opportunity to have a work fair, I guess you would say, and look at various opportunities for service in this congregation. I appreciate all the great women that we have in this congregation, because in many respects, the ladies, the women, are the backbone of the church, aren't they? And so we're grateful for all that you do, for your contributions, and for the great example that you set. And so tonight, as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, you remember the Apostle Paul said that if he tarried long, he was writing these things so that those people in the first century might know how to conduct themselves or behave themselves in the house of God, in the church of the living God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. As we talk about special servants in God's church, to understand that God is the one that has ordained that individuals serve in certain capacities in the Lord's church. So what I want us to do tonight, I want you to take your sheet and I want to, to the best of our ability, go down this sheet and look together at some of the responsibilities that rest upon those who serve in this capacity. I want to begin tonight by first of all talking about the recognition of special servants. I think it's imperative that we understand that God is the one who has brought the church into existence. The church is made up of people. And God's design is that those of us who belong to the body of Christ, that We each find our part, our role, our niche and then to the best of our ability execute whatever task is before us. So as we begin tonight, I want to just share with you some fundamentals. And I think if we're going to really understand the work, there's some fundamental things that we've got to get out of the way. I was talking to a friend of mine this past week. I really think that in the Lord's church there is a shortage of men who are willing to serve as elders and deacons. As I spoke to my friend on the telephone, I said, you know, in some ways I share a portion of the responsibility, or rather, I share a portion of maybe responsibility, I guess I should say for some not serving as they should and could, because maybe I haven't done a good enough job talking about the work and what I was involved in the work. And I haven't spent time emphasizing leadership roles in the church. And I think that all of us who preach, obviously, we have that responsibility. So I want to begin by first of all talking about the church has the greatest mastermind. Now when you think about a mastermind, who comes to mind? You know, there are people that, intellectually speaking, are masterminds. They're wizards, aren't they? They're geniuses. God is the mastermind behind the church, isn't He? And really, as we think about the church, to know that in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, Paul said that the church exists according to God's eternal purpose. We are members of the church that God brought into existence. So as you look at Scripture, there are three basic fundamental thoughts here. Number one, the Bible says that the church was built by the Lord, wasn't it? Matthew 16, 18, a very familiar text. I'm not saying anything that you're not familiar with. Jesus said to Peter, and Peter, of course, had made the good confession that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And based upon that bedrock statement, Jesus said, And I also say unto you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The church is in existence tonight because Jesus promised to build, to build it, and He did build it. And so not only did He build the church, but He bought it with His blood, which says to us, the church is something of great price, isn't it? That we ought to have the utmost reverence and respect for the church that wears His name. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the Apostle Paul, as he talked to the elders from the church at Ephesus, instructed them to take heed to themselves and to the flock. He said they had been made overseers. Their responsibility was to feed the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. So as we think about the mastermind, the greatest mastermind, the church, well, Jesus is the one who built it, He bought it, and ultimately it belongs to Him. Since the church belongs to God, he has the right to legislate the behavior of her adherents, doesn't he? That's why Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, would say that he was writing these things so that they might know how to behave themselves or conduct themselves in the house of God. Now, with regard to our understanding of the church and the importance of this institution... Not only does the church have the greatest mastermind, but it has the greatest mission. There are many corporations that exist today because individuals sacrificed. And in many respects, blood, sweat, and tears went into the building of those corporations. And I'm sure that many of those corporations in existence tonight have a mission. Some will even say, there is a tagline that underscores what they're all about, whether it's a service, a product, or whatever. When you think about the church, and as we talk about special servants in God's church, one of the reasons we need special servants is because we're talking about the church and her great mission. It is an unrivaled mission, and it is an urgent mission mission, isn't it? Now there are some corporations that exist all across our country. Some of those corporations serve in a, just in a small geographical area. Some serve domestically. Some internationally. When we talk about the church, we're talking about a worldwide global endeavor, aren't we? Jesus said, go therefore make disciples of all the nations. What a task. And you think about how it is unrifled and the urgency of this mission. Wasn't it the Apostle Paul who said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? And didn't Paul write in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the wages of sin is death? So the mission that we have is imperative because souls literally hang in the balance so your work and efforts in the kingdom of god are needed necessary if you please so that we might fulfill this mission and then the church has the greatest message doesn't it do you know of a better message that anyone has ever come up with or articulated than the gospel of Christ. Is there any message that rivals the gospel? I don't know of a message. Do you? Again, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. The gospel is a message that brings salvation. Salvation to people who are lost and dying in sin, as we said a moment ago. Not only does the gospel of Christ bring salvation, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God into salvation. It is a message that brings security, doesn't it? How many people in our world tonight feel insecure and they're worried about their spiritual relationship? The beauty of the gospel is it outlines what people must do to be saved and it outlines what they must do to stay saved, doesn't it? Not another message on earth comparable to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And You look around in our nation tonight and some of the problems that we face socially and in many other realms. Let me just say this, the gospel is the power to change the hearts and lives of people. The gospel is the power to change the landscape of a nation, if not the world. And then there's a fourth thing I want to share with you. The church has the greatest motivation. Now as you think about your place in the body of Christ, tonight we're talking about those who would step up and become special servants in the kingdom of God. You might be asking right now in your own mind, why should I serve? Does the church really need me? Well, the answer is yes, the church does need you. And as we just step back, and as we Mention some of the important areas of the church. What we're talking about is the need for human bodies to step up and take their place in service to God. So, a minute ago, you might be asking a question why me? Why should I serve? It might be the case that you feel inferior. Maybe you feel like you don't meet the qualifications. You know when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, and you begin going through this list of qualifications for those who serve as elders and deacons. Every qualification with the exception of three ought to be characteristic of every Christian. Did you know that? Sometimes we say, well I'm not qualified if you're a Christian you ought to be living up to the ideal set forth here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It might be that you're not married. And the Bible says that those who function in this special capacity, they're to be married men. They're to have children. You might not be married. You might not have children. But there will come a day when maybe you will be married and you'll have children. And then you would qualify there. It might also be the case that you're a novice right now. You're a new convert to Christ. You don't know as much as you would like to know. Every Christian begins in a state of spiritual infancy, doesn't he or she? And so the goal of a child of God is to what? To grow. To grow into these characteristics. So, You're here tonight. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you don't have children. Maybe you're new to the faith. In time, you might meet those qualifications. But all of the other qualifications, as a child of God, you ought to be working toward meeting in your own life. I know that there is reluctance on the part of many individuals to serve in this capacity. And some are fearful of the responsibility. And I get that. But let me just throw this out for you to think about for a minute or two. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, Paul is making the case that those who function as ministers, preachers of the gospel of Christ that they have the right to be financially supported by the church. But in verse 16, Paul made this statement. He said, "Woe is me if I preach not the gospel." Now you can look at that in two ways. On the one hand, you could say, "Well, woe is me if I do not preach the purity of the gospel." That's true. But the flip side of that is, "Woe is me if I do not preach" the gospel of Christ, when God has said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So what about the motivation? Why should we step up and serve? Why not? Why not serve? You ever ask yourself this? You're afraid of the responsibility. What if one day God holds you responsible for not having served? You ever thought about that? You are capable of serving. You meet the qualifications. You're of sound body and mind. And you say no. You might say, that seems awfully harsh. Go back and look at the record in the book of Exodus Concerning Moses. You remember Moses? When God called upon Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, how did Moses respond to that call? Do you remember? Did he say, ready to go right now? Is that what he said? He was reluctant, wasn't he? Matter of fact, he tried to make excuses as to why he couldn't serve. You might be here tonight and you're afraid of serving because of the responsibilities associated with the role. I get that. Every endeavor in life has responsibilities, doesn't it? I have responsibilities, as do you the job that you go to every day. You took that job based upon your aptitude and your willingness to comply with the conditions of that particular task or job or profession. Are you responsible to a higher power? Yes, you are. There's always somebody above us. And so in the work world, we're, we understand responsibility, don't we? We are responsible to the chief shepherd. That's the Lord. God's not looking for a quote-unquote perfect man. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you think, I can't serve because I'm not good enough, I'm not perfect, let me tell you, The last time I checked, there's only one perfect person who has ever walked upon the face of this earth. And that was Jesus. There's an ideal. And the goal is to rise up and to meet the ideal. We're to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, but the bottom line is no one is perfect. We all make mistakes. And there are times when we have to acknowledge our mistakes. We back up and we try it again, don't we? God wants men who are willing to take upon this role and be responsible, accountable. Are you willing to do that? What I want to challenge you to do over the next few days, number one, I want to encourage you to pray about this. I want to encourage you and your wife to pray to Almighty God. You pray every day this week and you pray about the task at hand. I appreciate people who are sometimes reluctant to take upon themselves these endeavors. What it says to me in many respects is we're talking about somebody who is humble, who's not out politicking for the job. It's not about a position. The work of an elder, the work of a deacon is just that it's a work. It's not a position. It's not about a power trip. It's about serving the Lord in a needed area. I am grateful for men who are willing to step up and serve in this capacity. Again, I understand the gravity. Of the office, But listen, God wouldn't ask something of us that was impossible to do. Now I know Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Those who serve as elders will give an account to God for the souls entrusted unto them. Does that frighten me? Yes, it does. And I'm, not, I'm not an elder. But that verse does frighten me. Because I think about the magnitude of the responsibility resting upon the shoulders of those who serve the Lord in that capacity. Imagine standing before God on the day of judgment. And God saying to an elder of the Lord's church, Oh, by the way, where was brother so-and-so? Where was sister so-and-so? And the response is, I don't know. Hebrews 13, 17 is there for a reason. We have a lot of different forms of communication. We can keep up with people better than we ever could in days gone by. So the Lord's asking that we step up and serve as His special servants. So what about the responsibilities? Look with me if you would under the second portion of our study. The need, and we're talking about responsibilities, but the need for the work of special servants in the Lord's Church. Number one, when you go home tonight, I want you to think about this. I would encourage you to take this little sheet of paper Fold it up, put it in your Bible. And every day this week, you pull it out and you look at this sheet. And you go over what we've talked about. And I want you to specifically look at point number 2 the subpoint number one. The need for the work of special servants in the Lord's church. Number one, the church needs men who have a heart. And I would underline that. The church needs men who have a heart for service in the kingdom of God. Do you have a heart for service? Everything we're talking about is service. It's all about service, isn't it? When the apostle Paul began his letter to the saints in Rome, do you remember how he began that letter? Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now wait a minute. Paul is an apostle, a preacher, a missionary, an inspired penman. But he begins by laying the foundation, I am a servant. And Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Paul said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. And ourselves as your servants for His sake. Paul, what were you? A servant. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, we looked at that passage a week or so ago. You remember when Isaiah saw God sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up? And the Bible says in verse 8, the question was raised, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And what did Isaiah say? Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. That's the kind of man we need today. We need somebody who is zealous and who wants to be a servant in the kingdom of God. Is there any reason why you can't be a servant in this capacity? Can you think of a reason why you can't fulfill one of the roles we're talking about? So number one, the church needs men who have a heart for service. And number two, the church needs men who will lend a hand for service. You know, the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Nehemiah, when they were undertaking the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem, the text says that those men, those people in that day had a mind to work. That's what we're talking about tonight a work. If you serve as an elder, it's a work. If you serve as a deacon, it's a work. If you preach and teach, it's a work. It's all about work, isn't it? We sang a moment ago, we'll work till Jesus comes. Did we mean it? Will we work till Jesus comes? Will we find our niche in the body of Christ? Now I want you to look secondly. There's some terms that are used in Scripture that help to underscore the various elements of what it means to serve as an elder, or bishop, or shepherd, or overseer, or pastor. Those terms designate the same office. They're varying terms, but they denote different things. Now in, look if you would, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said, this is a faithful saying, If a man desires the office or the position of a bishop, literally an overseer, he said he desires, listen to him, a good work. That's what we're talking about. It's a good work. So, the word bishop means a curator, a guardian. The word elder carries with it the idea of an older man, not a novice, but somebody who is spiritually mature. And then, of course, a pastor. The word pastor has various meanings, but it carries with it the idea of one who shepherds. Matter of fact, look, if you would, at the definitions that I've given A pastor exercises care and watchfulness for the spiritual needs of the church. A bishop or overseer designates one who has the ability to manage and lead. He's a curator, guardian, superintendent. An elder, as I said a moment ago, is someone who is mature, not a novice to the faith. But all of these terms refer to the same office. So what about the work of an elder? Let me just very quickly, I know our time's gone. Number 1 elders have the responsibility of leading the church leading the church just like a shepherd leads the sheep an elder has the responsibility of leading the church well what's the pattern then that the elders use to lead the church it's God's word isn't it elders don't have any authority to change the law of Christ, do they? Their authority is in the realm of expediency. They have the responsibility of leading the church, and they make calls with regard to how the work of the church is going to best be executed in a location. What times of service? How many services? What kinds of mission works we're going to be involved in, etc. Those are things that elders make decisions on. Bishop, the word bishop carries with it the idea of a decision maker. Now I want to just pause here and make this observation very quickly. I think in America, sadly, in many respects, the church has misconceptions about the work of an elder. It is not just a decision-making work. Decisions have to be made, yes, but it's not some boardroom mentality. We're not talking about a board of directors, but rather we're talking about a work where decisions are made and have to be made, but ultimately elders or shepherds are among the sheep. Their role is spiritual in nature. And I would underscore that. I think in far too many congregations, elders have too much on their plate. And in many instances, they're trying to do both the physical and the spiritual. Elders don't have that kind of time. Only 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So they have to delegate, don't they? That's why there is a need for deacons or special servants. Those who serve as deacons, it's not just a title, nor is being an elder a title. It's a work. Deacons are to have specified works. There is accountability and responsibility, right? Just like in the eldership. Very quickly. Elders must lead the church. They must also feed the church. That's what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. They lead the church, they feed the church, and then thirdly, they know the church. I understand. Sometimes when you're talking about a larger congregation, it is more challenging to know the flock. Peter, when he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, talked about, The elders who are among you. So, elders have to be involved in the lives of people. Shepherds have to be involved, and they have to know the sheep. Read John chapter 10, where Jesus talks about the shepherd knows the sheep. So, it takes time and effort to know the sheep, doesn't it? But it can be done. Many of you remember the late Nesby Sharp. I never had the opportunity to know Brother Sharp, but I remember sitting in a class one time, Keith Mosher was teaching, he said, let me tell you about the finest elder I have ever known. And he said, Nesby Sharp, and I have had people tell me that Brother Nesby would be in homes regularly. And why did he do that? Because he cared, because he was interested in the welfare of people. People have needs, they have hurts, they have sorrows, they deal with problems. Look, life is filled with problems. And so when you take on the role of an elder, you're talking about dealing with people, and people have problems, don't they? We all have problems. So it's not for the faint of heart, but let me tell you what, it is a noble endeavor. And then very quickly, Elders have the responsibility of protecting the church. You remember in Acts chapter 20 when the Apostle Paul again stood before those elders from Ephesus? And he talked about how grievous wolves would rise from among these men. He said, not sparing the flock. So elders have the responsibility of guarding and protecting the church. Very quickly, we may come back and deal with some of this more, but just very quickly, let me just give you one other thought here. Deacons. Deacons are not junior elders. You can serve as a deacon and never, ever serve as an elder. You can serve as an elder and never serve as a deacon. I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's anything in Scripture that would prohibit that, but I think to serve as a deacon is a noble work. It's a good place to start. The work of deacons is both spiritual and physical. Go back and read Acts chapter 6, when those Grecian widows were being neglected. And the apostles said, look, we've got to give our time to teaching the Word and prayer. So they appointed men to function in the role of special servants to address those needs. Deacons, they have to be empowered to engage in a work, and then they have to be enabled to fulfill that work, don't they? And Again, that requires delegation. What can deacons do? They could direct a Bible school program. They could engage in benevolent activities. They could be the leader of a care group or visitation group. They could serve over building and grounds. It might take more than one person to do that. They can work with the youth or senior members in the Lord's Church. They can be involved in personal evangelism. They can teach. They can do a lot of things. This is just a thumbnail sketch of what's involved in the work that we're talking about. And we didn't even talk about We didn't even begin talking about the qualifications. The qualifications are important, but I think it's, I think it is vital that we understand the work itself, what's involved. Does that make sense? This is not a typical lesson. And personally, I hate being chained to something like this. But I think it's important that we both see and hear what we're talking about tonight. I had a friend who was a great teacher one time. He said, people remember more what they see than what they hear. So I know it's on the screen above, but I want you to have a copy of it. And I want to encourage you, go home tonight and begin tonight searching your soul. Ask yourself, can I serve? Do I meet the qualifications? What would keep me from surfing? Ask this. What would the Lord think if I say no? I think that there have been some good men in days gone by that haven't answered the call and the church needed them. Listen, the church here needs you badly. Five years, a lot of things can change, can't they? Ten years? Our young people are the future of this congregation. And you and I together, we have a role to fill, don't we? So ask yourself tonight, ask yourself every night this week, why shouldn't I serve? I meet the qualifications. I've got a willing heart. I've got a willing hand. Why shouldn't I serve? Tough question. And go back and read the story of Moses again. And see how Moses came up with every excuse in the world as to why he couldn't serve. Was Moses perfect? No, he was not. He became a great leader and lawgiver in ancient Israel. So I want to encourage you, go home, read and study and look at these qualifications. And You begin examining yourself in light of what the Bible teaches. And hopefully and prayerfully, you'll rise up to meet the need of the hour. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the church here. Father, we are mindful of the need for servants. And we ask that you bless every person in this congregation. Help us to do what we can to advance your cause. And help us to rise up and meet the challenge, the need of this hour. And Father, we pray that You would bless our elders. We pray for wisdom. And Father, we pray that You would continue to richly bless them with good health and longevity. We're thankful for them, for their wives. And Father, we pray that You would bless our elders, our deacons, and bless those who might step up, And meet this need. Give them a prayerful heart. And Father, we pray that you would bless us all in your service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here tonight. This is a different kind of lesson. A lot of things that I would probably choose over talking about elders and deacons, but it's a needed subject. It's a biblical subject mentioned a moment ago talking to a friend of mine about serving as elders and deacons, etc. And I said, you know, as a preacher, we're going to be judged on the basis of what we preach. But not just what we preach, but what we don't preach. I'm afraid some preachers might be in trouble because not what they preach, but what they don't preach. Some things are tough, but we've got to preach it anyway. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, could we encourage you to come to Christ? Would you be willing to deny yourself, take up the cross, and begin following the Lord? What would you need to do? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Repent of your sins, confess His name, be buried with Him in baptism. Let God add you to His church. Enjoy forgiveness. Leave here saved. and Leave here ready to work in the kingdom of God. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause, we always encourage those who may not be faithful, please, think about where you are spiritually, come home. The Bible says God is willing to forgive if we'll repent. James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. Tonight we encourage you to come as we stand and sing.